morning to you, church. It is my honor and joy to bring to you God's Word. I am Harold, one of the pastors here. If you have your Bibles, it'll also be projected overhead. We're on John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. It's our act of worship to listen to the reading of God's Word. I'll read it for us. This is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest manifest myself to him. These are the very words of Jesus. How precious and how comforting that nearing the day of Jesus' physical departure from his disciples, he promises in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus is the one friend, the one counselor, the one God, the one parent the one spouse, the one family member who says, I will never, ever, ever forget you, never abandon you, never leave you. No child of God will ever be orphaned, left alone. How? Because Jesus got orphaned at the cross. He lost his father so his father can become ours. But what is even more striking, as we may understand that Jesus the son lost his dad so that his dad and father in heaven could become ours, we still may wonder, well, how? How do we feel so comforted and strengthened that he hasn't left us because physically he did leave? Well, in chapter 16, verse 7, here's what Jesus said in another part that ties with John chapter 14. He said, it's to your advantage. He said, it's better that I go away so that the helper, the Holy Spirit, would come. It's better this way that Jesus goes away so that he can come to live in his people. Now, there are some very devoted, intense actors out there who want to so inhabit their characters, or maybe the character roles that they play, they want those characters to so inhabit them. I believe it's called method acting. And one by the name of Daniel Day-Lewis is a three-time Oscar winner for an older movie entitled The Crucible. Did you know he committed to live on that set, which is a replica of a colonial village, meaning he went without electricity or running water throughout the entire set? For Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York, Daniel Day-Lewis refused the winter coat in the middle of winter and he caught pneumonia and he got deathly ill. 
And then for one of the more recent great portrayals of Honest Abe, Abraham Lincoln. In Lincoln, he refused to break character, period. He walked, he talked, and he even texted like Honest Abe. According to his co-star, Sally Field, quote, I never met Daniel Day-Lewis. Never. I always met him as Mr. Lincoln. There were seven months before we began to shoot, and he would text me all the time in character. I would have to then answer back in the language of the time, which was really hard to figure out, but great fun. Weirdos. Weirdos. What's even weirder, and it might be funny, but it's actually incredibly frustrating, is that I know a lot of people who are trying to do this with Jesus. There are a lot of people trying to walk around like Jesus, talk like Jesus, maybe dress like Jesus, sound like Jesus, and study Jesus, and imitate Jesus, and you try really hard to live like Jesus, but I'll tell you, you can never do it like the geniuses, and especially you'll never do it with Jesus. The disciples got to hear from Jesus, eat with Jesus, sleep with Jesus, be around Jesus, listen to Jesus, touch Jesus, feel Jesus. Yes, they had the very best, but Jesus said, it is to your advantage. It's better this way. How could it be better this way? Here's what Jesus is promising. Listen close. Here's what Jesus is promising. Instead of you and I trying so hard to live like Jesus, how about Jesus comes to live in you? How about if Daniel Day-Lewis, if you are an actor and you want to win an Oscar award, how about if somehow supernaturally the spirit of Daniel Day-Lewis could come in you, take over in your body, you would win an Oscar. And here's what Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Listen, my friends, this is actually the key that unlocks the mystery. It unlocks the puzzle. It unlocks the hardship of what you may think Christianity is all about. Here's the key. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Apostle Paul did not say, I am just trying really hard to live like Jesus and follow Jesus and oh, worship Jesus and love Jesus and be like Jesus. He did not say that. In that verse, here's what he said. I'm not trying to live like Jesus. Jesus is living in me. How? By faith. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. By faith, just like last week we heard Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was leaning back upon the bosom or the chest of Jesus. That's faith. That's faith right there. All you have to do is give up on yourself and put your trust in Jesus. All you really need to do is rest Lean back on Jesus. There is a visual of faith. So my friends, you know this morning, you could have a supernatural encounter, something that could literally change your life. By faith, if you trust and lean back in need, if you ask Jesus to do something that you know you can never do, where you say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you to come and live in me. 
put your faith in him, Jesus promises he will. And we're going to unpack how he does that. Jesus comes to live in his people. You know how many times we read in verses 17, 18, 19, 20, in this incredibly loaded passage, all the words that indicate intimacy or what we might say absolute identification with Christ. Let me give you another theological word, but you should learn this word, and it's very important. It is the summary and signature work of this helper that Jesus promises. It's called union with Jesus, union with Christ. And all these verses convey in you, the Father will be in you, you'll be in me, absolute intimacy. And when Jesus promises his helper, who we know is the Holy Spirit, to come, that is the very spirit of Jesus Christ coming to take residence, and he's now going to walk and talk and text and view and feel and dream and imagine and execute and work and sweat and labor and bleed like Jesus because it's Jesus, but in your shoes, in your life, with your face, with your personality, with all your relational contacts. So union with Christ. Jesus comes to live in you if you simply need him to. By faith, ask him, lean back, rest in him and say, Jesus, I really need you to do this. Now by virtue of that, if by the helper or the Holy Spirit, we are so united with Christ, there's oneness. Therefore that would mean that we are living always before the presence or the face of God. There's a little expression called Koram Deo, which means before the face of God. All Christian people, if you have Jesus living in you by the Holy Spirit, you're always living before the face of God. Go figure, right? Of course. There was a man who came to his pastor and started to confess that he had had an adulterous relationship, married with kids. And the Holy Spirit was taking through a nice road of confessing and feeling that is utterly wrong and he was reaching out to get help so that he could stop doing that and restore and strengthen his marriage and do something that is right and godly for his kids and here's what he confessed to his pastor he said pastor every time I had my lover the mistress over to my house I'd have to at least put all the pictures down of my wife when he brought his mistress home, he'd have to put down every picture of his wife and his kids. He couldn't stand it. Neither could his mistress. Now you see, pictures, just pictures, have the power to change behavior, or at least bother you. I mean, in this day and age with the Equifax, what if people could look at all your financial transactions, every single one? What are you spending all your money on? Would you be comfortable with that? What if people really did have a video recording of everything you did, those quote-unquote moments you think you're so secret and quiet. It's all recorded online. We just display it to the world. Would you feel comfortable with that? Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus never asked his people, I want you to carry my picture around. Like put it in your wallet. Put it on a necklace. Carry a poster. Do you know Jesus says something far, far more intimate? You're not carrying pictures of Jesus around. You're carrying his presence by union with Christ through the Holy Spirit. Now, my friend, 
Are you aware of the presence of someone sovereign? Are you aware of someone else lives in you? Does that ever bother you in a good way? (laughs) Does it ever comfort and strengthen you? Does it ever guide you outside of yourself? Are you aware that God lives in you? Are you aware? If you're not aware at all, you've never been aware, I suggest to you it's because God is absent from you. You may still be trying hard like a method actor to act like a Christian and live like a Christian, but you can't live like a Christian. You can't live like Christ until Christ comes to live in you. And the signature summary work of the helper or the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ is he comes to unite you to himself and you are one with him. He'll never let you go. He'll never, ever, ever let you go. And in this union, here's what Jesus says in this passage. He describes the Holy Spirit in two different ways. We're just going to unpack those two designations or two different names. And we'll see what the Holy Spirit does for us, even as he unites us to Christ. The first, did you notice it? Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Again, The accompaniment in chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Let me read that for us. This is again Jesus continuing to teach. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. Here's what Jesus explains about that. The Holy Spirit's job, one of his jobs, is to remind you, teach you, guide you, clarify into all truth. And the Holy Spirit never speaks on his own. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a unilateral authority on his own. The Holy Spirit does not initiate or make up his own things. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit is truthful, always. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 1, it actually tells us that these holy scriptures that we are reading and studying and listening from every Sunday at least, it says that the Holy Spirit actually wrote it. The Holy Spirit actually spoke it through men throughout the ages. And it was the Holy Spirit that revealed truth. Now, if that is true, if the Holy Spirit gave us the scriptures, which is the word of truth, you can bank on it. The Holy Spirit is never going to turn around after that and contradict it. The Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, is going to stay true to it. The Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is going to be scriptural. Before the Holy Spirit is sensational, which he is, he is first and foremost scriptural. He is truthful because he guides us into all the truth. You know, if you are ever imagining or thinking, and people get confused by this, how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit leading me to do this? Or how do I know if I just feel like I want to do this? How do I know that dream was from God or was it just my dream? I ate a bad dinner. How do I know that my desires and intuitions and instincts, sometimes my spontaneous movements are really from God or from myself? Well, it's really simple. You're going to have to check that if it's truly from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always be truthful and scriptural. Will it ever contradict? If it contradicts this, you can safely know that's just your, your mood. Your food, 
your circumstance. But you can know when the Holy Spirit is guiding and leading you when you know that it is scriptural. A lot of people also say, hey, pastor, you know, I know that this is from God. I feel it. It's from God. I dreamt it's from God. And I'm going to go ahead and do this. And then you hear the story of how it all came out. And the other little puzzling thing that I find in a lot of these stories of what God has amazingly done in your life is that the emphasis of the story seems to be the self more than the Savior still. The emphasis seems to be what a hero or great person you are rather than what a great person or savior Jesus is. And that is a little puzzling too, because even in the stories that we tell about the Holy Spirit, it actually doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit in chapter 16, verse 14 said what? What does the Holy Spirit do? Does the Holy Spirit ever want to talk about you? The Holy Spirit says he will glorify me. That's actually why we're called Christ Central. I'd be happy to be called Holy Spirit Central. I love the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's fantastic. There's nothing wrong to be called the Holy Spirit central. Nothing wrong for Christians to want to be all about obsessively the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. But the Holy Spirit turns around and says, but I really like to glorify Christ. The Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. So on the one hand, there is a danger, yes, where we can confuse intuitions, desires, movements, with the Holy Spirit, but you always got to check it scriptural. But here's also what the Holy Spirit does on the other end. The Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, also makes that truth piercing and palpable. The Holy Spirit is not just a lecturer. The Holy Spirit is not just a professor. The Holy Spirit doesn't just give you instruction. He gives transformation. The Holy Spirit doesn't just give you truth statements. He makes these things burn in your heart that it makes a difference in your life. We call it palpable and piercing. So the Holy Spirit guides and reminds and teaches us into all the truth of scriptures, but the Holy Spirit also takes that truth and he pierces hearts with it, lights it on fire. You see, everyone in this morning, Everyone this morning, won't you at least admit, you can hear about Jesus is sweet. Jesus is good. Jesus is loving. And you see, rationally, intellectually, you can think to yourself, wow, Jesus must be sweet. He must be like honey. He must be like ice cream. He must be like candy. He must be like chocolate, whatever you're thinking. But knowing that Jesus is sweet is a far cry different than actually tasting he's sweet. Knowing that Jesus dwells in you is totally different than delighting in Jesus who dwells in you. Saying or singing that you believe these things but actually have it pierce and be palpable to you, real to you, that's actually the job of the Holy Spirit. He makes the truth piercing and palpable. One of the favorite stories in the 10 years of ministry here where it's an honor to serve this church, my wife and I just about a year and a half ago at our family retreat, we're sitting in the back and someone just decided, hey, let's bring Pastor Hilda and his wife up. We're gonna pray for them here. Everyone come up and lay hands and pray for them. 
my wife was outfitted in very tight Zumba pants that day. And that was a very popular retreat because Sunny offered Zumba for free at nights. I love her qualifying statement when she turned on music. She says, don't listen to the lyrics. I don't vouch for them. I don't even listen to the lyrics. There might be some foul language. I just dance to the beat. Anyways, she's incredible. So she's in Zumba pants. And we came up, sat there, and then you guys came around, and you laid hands on us, and you prayed for us. You prayed for us. And do you know you didn't pray anything new or magical? I heard people pray like, please let Pastor Harold and Sonny know that God loves them. Please let them know that we love them. Please let them know that Jesus is doing great things here. Please let them know that God is really in control. Please let them know that God has really got it all together. And Sonny and I, our hearts were moved and broken to tears. Because we knew God loves us. We knew the church loves us. But actually, we really didn't know. And the Holy Spirit fell and made the truth piercing and palpable. Here's what is so precious and powerful about church. What you hear on Sunday, what you hear here, if there's any gold, anything truthful, anything helpful, praise God. That is from God. But you want that to pierce you and be palpable? You better get some friends. You better get some people. And you better go up to them and say, you know, something struck me there Sunday, but I'm not quite sure if I can live that out. I'm not quite sure if I really believe that. I'm not quite sure if I feel that. You know, my marriage really is ruining right now. Nobody knows about it. Can you please come and help me or pray for me? And here's what the church of Jesus Christ can do. When someone comes alongside you, prays for you, befriends you, loves you, that is how we access the Holy Spirit doing his job. That is how the Holy Spirit comes rushing down to make things that were old new, to make things that are stale fresh, to make things that are theoretical experiential, to make it real, piercing and palpable. Jesus promised, not only will I come live in you, I'm going to give you my spirit that will make truth burn. Here's a second description. Here's a second description. He not only said the spirit of truth, but we go back to this word, helper, helper. Now, I would say on this occasion, this is called an English standard version. We like it. But on this one, I think it's lame. I think helper is a really bad translation. In the Greek, it's paraclete, para kaleo. Para means someone who comes alongside you. Kaleo, call or speak. So literally, <clears throat> in the Greek, what Jesus is promising, I'm going to bring someone to come next to you. And then that someone is going to speak for you exactly what you should speak in the court that matters most. I'm going to bring someone alongside you, for you, support you, they're going to come alongside para, and then they're going to represent powerless people and deal with higher powers. They're going to take lost people. They're going to take people who have no case. No defense attorney would take you. But I'm going to bring him alongside you, and he's going to speak and make a case for you that you could never make for yourself. That's parakaleo. So I think a better translation is a legal advocate, or our title, 
a counselor, a counselor, the highest counsel. So when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to not only be the spirit of truth, he promises a paraclete, which is actually the main point of this passage. Jesus is assuming every single human being is going to have to retain a lawyer. Every single human being is going to have to get the highest and best counsel. Where? What are you talking about? What do you mean I need a lawyer? Here's why. The scriptures assume and the scriptures teach our consciences signal there's an objective higher bar of justice. Now stay with me. You may disagree with that, but just stay with me. Our consciences, Romans chapter 2, know instinctively there is a right or wrong. Fair or unfair, good and ugly, angelic or demonic. And our consciences signal, at least to a certain degree, that's a gift of God, because you're made in the image of God, that there's a bar of justice that we all miserably fail, that we violate and break over and over and over again, and our consciences actually condemn us in guilt. Now, I know there must be some people in this room, because I try it too mentally sometimes, where you say, well, this is what I don't like about religion or the Bible, that always comes down on me and makes me feel guilty and tells me what's right or wrong. You know what? I'm going to go and decide what's right or wrong. I'm going to live by my own code. I'm finally going to feel free. Don't tell me what to do. I'll live by my own code of what's right and wrong. I should let everybody else live by their own code of what's right or wrong. Free at last. Free at last. Oh, religion is just so repressive. I'm free at last. Problem is is until somebody else violates your code of right or wrong. And Francis Schaeffer, an old Christian, theologian or teacher, he gave this one illustration. You don't have to believe in God, but can you at least agree with this illustration? If we attached an Apple recording device, not of just what you think, just what you say, for the rest of your life, from this point, let's record everything you ever say, and Schaeffer Ask us to consider, if it recorded every time you said to somebody else, you ought to, or every time you said to somebody else, you should, and every time you said to somebody else, please don't do that, and every time you said to somebody else, please do do that, and Schaefer turns around and says, if we recorded every time you told somebody else what they should or ought or can or can't do, and we brought it all to your attention at the end of your life, and then we measured your own life, did you, could you, has anybody even lived up to your own standards? Has every ought, every should, every don't, every do, have you? And Schaefer's point was this. We can't even keep our own moral codes of what's right or wrong. And when we can't even keep that, it signals to us there is something awfully wrong. And in the highest court, in the bar of justice, Jesus is promising, you're gonna need a defense counsel. You know, when you get into this courtroom, you really should keep your mouth shut. Do not speak out of turn. Don't try to represent yourself. And Jesus is saying, I'm gonna provide a counselor pro bono. And he will defend you, argue for you, make a case for you 
with the powerless, with the highest power. Parakaleo. That's what it means to retain highest counsel. And what kind of case exactly is Jesus making? What do you think he's doing in the courts of heaven to defend someone who fails, who is a sinner like me? Pastor Tim Keller just yeah, recently retired. He gave this illustration that I will not forget. He was listening to a sermon by Charles Hodge, an old Princeton professor. And in that sermon, Tim Keller was so struck because he said, all along I had thought that in the courts of heaven, after he sinned, by the way, Tim Keller sins, the Pope sins, shocker, I'm sorry to tell you that, he sins, but after each time he sinned, he would think that Jesus is up there before God, before the bar, begging, God, please be lenient one more time. God, please be more patient. God, please be merciful. And Tim confessed that as long as he thought Jesus was up there appealing to mercy, it actually didn't really comfort him deep down because he thought, how long is Jesus going to keep this up? How long is God going to just keep letting me go? We know he's long-suffering and slow to anger. Oh, but it doesn't mean that he's never going to get angry. So how long is God going to keep it up? And he heard this message by Charles Hodge, and here's what, he, here's what clicked. He said, Jesus is not in the courts of heaven appealing to leniency or mercy. No, in fact, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us, but if we do confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does it say that God is faithful and merciful? Did it say that God is faithful and patient one more time? Did it say that God is faithful and lenient just one more time? It actually said God is faithful and just. Now, how could it be just that God would forgive us for any and all sins? Keller, back to Keller. Jesus is not in the courts of heaven making a case based on mercy. He's making a case based on pure justice. It's an infallible case. The case is closed. Because when God sees me, Harold sinned again. He did it again. Jesus comes along as my defense counsel. He says, God, the punishment, the condemnation, the wrath that he so deserves, again, has already been poured out and crushed my body and it has spilt my blood. Therefore, he is acquitted. Therefore, justice demands that Harold could never be condemned or forsaken or punished for that crime. There's no double jeopardy. Our Holy Spirit, the parakaleo, is up there giving an infallible case based on law. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to ask people randomly, hey, are you a Christian? Are you, are you a Christian? Even at his church. People who attended his church for years and years and years. Listen to one of the best Preachers in the last century. Years and years and years. You just, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And you know what most people still told Martin Lloyd-Jones? They would say, I'm trying real hard. And Lloyd-Jones would step back and know in his heart, you're not a Christian yet, so let me explain to you. Christians say, Christians say, I've retained a defense counsel in the highest courts 
who's already declared me no longer guilty. I have been acquitted of all sins and crimes, past, present, and future. The debt that I deserve has been dumped on my Savior. The condemnation that, I, that should crush me has crushed my Savior. Jesus has stood in my place. He speaks on my behalf. I am no longer guilty in the courts of heaven. Do you know another way that you can figure out that you might not yet be a Christian? Is when you hear words like the justice of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel? Does it make you feel nervous? Does it make you feel fearful? Does it make you fret? Most likely it's because you're religious. Do you know what a Christian person feels or should feel when you hear justice of God, righteousness of God, holiness of God? Religious people fret and fear that the justice of God is working against them. Christian people feel comforted and confident because we know the justice of God is working for them. Christian people know without a shadow of a doubt that infallible case based on law has been already made. We have been acquitted and it would actually be unjust of God to ever come back down on any of his children. They will never be orphaned, never punished and condemned for the same sin or crime twice. So here's what the Holy Spirit comes down and does. Spirit of truth and the Holy Spirit is our parakaleo, our highest counsel. And not only does he defend you in the face of truthful accusations, but the Holy Spirit actually pleads and persuades and protects you in the face of temptation. Temptation. A parakaleo. If you have a good friend, which by the way, the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be, to you and we ask you to be that friend too. If you have a loving friend, if you have a truthful friend, if you have a friend whose heart breaks for what breaks your heart, and they see something that you continue to do that they know will end in self-destruction or misery or addiction or sadness or isolation from other people, will that friend sit by and say, hey, it's your freedom, it's your right, go ahead and do what you wanna do. No, I would say that friend is not really truthful or loving. I would want a friend that has seen me many times have a tendency to do something that they know would not be good for me or for other people, come in and intrude. Come in and start saying some things. And they'll say stuff like this. Hey, Harold, I'm actually, I love you, I support you, but I don't like this. I'm not for you on this one. I actually can't bear to watch you continue to do this. I need you to stop doing this. And here's the same thing with the parakaleo. Someone who comes alongside you does not mean that that person's always going to be for you. The someone who comes alongside you actually sometimes has to move against you to actually be for you in the long run. And a good loving friend will come against me sometimes because they want to be for me in the long run. And here's what the Holy Spirit loves to do in the life of every believer. He's like the most truthful, loving friend. Better than a camp counselor, better than a marriage counselor, better than a therapist, better than your pastor, better than a psychiatrist. The Holy Spirit is a sovereign, equal with God, person, sovereign and almighty and all-knowing and all-wise and all-loving. And do you know what he does in the life of every believer in the moment of temptation? He does not sit there and say, it's okay. You just go right ahead. 
Jesus died for you anyway. No, in the face of temptation, Jesus comes along, persuades and pleads and seeks to protect you so that you will do that which is godly and right and will lead to health and joy and blessings for you. I'm going to close with this one verse because verse 21, which we often overlook when we look at or study the Holy Spirit is something that we may not really understand. Verse 21, we'll close with this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I know there are a lot of people in this room, starting with myself, where many times you feel like God is not real. God is not close to me. I'm not sure if my faith is genuine. I'm not sure if I can keep this up. When we sing songs like this, it doesn't really ever move my heart. Are you with me? Do you know what Mother Teresa used to say about 15 minutes of prayer? 14 minutes of it was distracted. Do you ever feel like God is not real and he's really far and he's really distant? Well, we just said it's the Holy Spirit's job, right, to make us feel things, make it piercing and palpable. Can I suggest to you, maybe it's just as simple as we should obey we should obey. Do what's right. Repent of what's wrong. And then see then if the Holy Spirit's going to make, manifest, make it full, make you feel really the love of God. I don't want to over-spiritualize. I don't want to oversimplify. I'm really not that type of person. But I think on this one, it's that simple. Is there something you're just still harboring? Is there so, aren't you tired of that, that reaction? Is there something you are still obsessing over? Is there something you're holding back? Is there something that you just continue to do? It's just become like a habit. It's just become like eating to you. The Holy Spirit comes with truth. And then the Holy Spirit comes as a loving counselor and friend and says, stop doing that. I plead with you. I beg of you. And do you know what he says? This is my love for you. Stop doing what's wrong. Do what's right. And then see, when you hear the benediction, may the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Let's see if that ever becomes and feels like new.